Welcome back to the Abundant Journey Podcast, everybody. Thank you for jumping in with us today. I am your host, Nick James, as always, and along with Nick Offenkamp here. Nick, how are you, sir? I am doing fantastic, Matt. How are you? I'm doing great. Fall is in the air, and uh, excitement is around the corner. The Washington Reigns are heading their way soon. What's new in your world? Yeah, uh, same. Looking forward to uh, first day of fall party coming up here. Um, but other than that, just kind of settling into uh, the school year and uh, good stuff happening with that. Um, I'm really excited about the guest that we have today. Uh, I know she's coming to us as a uh, recommendation from Nick Stogerberg, and that episode was one of my favorites of all time. Oh, yeah. Um, Nick, you've had a little bit more opportunity to interact with our guests so far than I have. Would you introduce her for us? Yeah, absolutely, and I'm excited as well. So we have Whitney Elkins Hutton joining us today. She has been a real estate investor since around 2000, early 2000s, and there's a couple things that I love about her story. First off, she really f- focused and got really good at doing one or two things well before opening the gambit of real estate investing, and she's always been a student of investing. And so, one, she's going to share with us some of the lessons learned along her journey, but the other thing is, is she's just mastered it, and now she coaches and teaches and mentors and has a passion for sharing her lessons with other people in hopes that they can really grow on their journeys towards freedom and financial freedom and the goals that they have. So Whitney, thank you for being on. We're super excited to have you. How are you today? I'm doing great. Sun's shining. It's beautiful in the mountains today. Absolutely. Now, Whitney, I didn't mention it to our guests, but where are you at presently? Uh, Boulder, Colorado. Boulder, Colorado. And, you know, you are our first official guest from Colorado. Most of our audience doesn't know that I'm a Denver Broncos fan. Now, I'm not sure if that resonates with you or not, but I do love Colorado regardless. (laughs) (laughs) I I do have to root for the Broncos, but that isn't my team of choice. But my husband, who is a Vikings fan, has uh, sworn me to secrecy that I'm not allowed to say on open air who my favorite team is. (laughs) (laughs) he's still mad about some game where the Vikings didn't make it to the playoffs. And I think it was like 2010 or 11. So maybe that kind of clue in on my favorite team. (laughs) I can a hundred percent relate to your husband. And if I'm picking up on what you're putting down, uh, the the pain and pleasure of being a a Vikings fan. (laughs) Um, it's, it's, uh, a brutal team to fall in love with. They'll break your heart every single year, but uh, that's awesome. How long have you been in Boulder then? Uh, since 2006. Okay. So you've spent a significant amount of time there. Yeah. Yeah. I've been in Colorado uh, this go around since 2001. Um, I actually, uh, my dad was in the oil business and the air force originally, and then the oil business. And so we were here, uh, living in Littleton, like South Denver, when Littleton was its own town, there was 30 miles of prairie land between Littleton and downtown Denver. And I was, I think I was like five, like a lot of those roads in South Denver, Nick, were like dirt roads. <laughs> so I'm really oh, yeah. dating myself. But the joke, my, 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 my running joke is, you know, uh, it just, I, I, I lived in Colorado when I was young. And it just took me 20 years to figure out how to get back. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Yeah. 
It's uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful place of the country. I've not spent nearly as much time as I would like in Colorado, but y'all have certainly had a, a lot of attention the last four or five years with everybody saying Colorado's the the place to be. So I'm, I'm sure you've probably seen the explosive growth in uh, the time that you've spent there since early 2000s. Um, maybe before we get into your backstory, I know Nick introduced you as uh, a investor, uh, spending a lot of time in the real estate space, but also coaching and mentoring. Um, maybe give us an overview of just what does a day in the life or a, a week in the life of Whitney look like right now? <laughs> well, we were just talking about before the show that I'm post-surgical. So a day in the life right now is trying to figure out how to manage <laughs> crutches, which I am... <laughs> For somebody who moves really fast, this is a very humbling experience and um, one that I'm okay not having again. As my daughter said, this, they're almost like doctor's torture devices. Uh, the only thing oh, worse yeah. would be a cast. Um, so long story short, but when I'm not hobbling around um, the house, um, you know, for me, I am the director of investor education at PassiveInvesting.com and we focus on helping, uh, you know, busy professionals place their capital and cash flowing assets like multifamily, self-storage, uh, express car washes, first position, real estate debt, and a, and a you know, handful of other things. So they can reap the benefits of real estate and, uh, you know, both in cash flow, ex- equity, and tax benefits. Um, I also am the founder of Ash Wealth, and that's where I um, do one-on-one coaching and mentoring for, you know, real estate investors who are looking to either start their portfolio uh, you know, buy their, you know, first like one to 10, you know, one to 20 properties or scale their portfolio, trying to figure out, you know, help them solve problems on how to, you know, reposition single family property portfolios into multifamily or even into more passive investments. That's awesome. So uh, spending a lot of time interacting with investors and is that mostly in Colorado or are you working with people all over the nation? Oh, working with people all over the nation. So that is, that is what I do. Um, it's my passion to, you know, help people build, you know, long-term wealth and passive income from themselves so they can win this multi-generational wealth game. Um, it's not just about winning life today, but winning it, you know, setting yourself up and your family up for, for the future. Um, and, you know, the other half, when I'm not working and, and working with um, investors and clients, I'm a mom. Um, I, you know, chase my 11-year-old around. You know, uh, I wish she's faster at everything than I am now, skiing, mountain biking, <laughs> climbing. So I, it really the tables have turned. Well, especially this week, right? <laughs> she, <yeah. laughs> she is being very gracious with me though she took me on a walk around the block this morning so she's being very gracious (laughs) i love that i love that no that's that's great and i i know you're 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 busy uh, based on some of our past conversations and always doing different things let's go back a little bit to your early years and i always say hey we go back as far as you want you know if if entrepreneurship and real estate, a love for real estate was in maybe your parents or did that start later in life? We'll start wherever you want on the journey here. Oh, well, if we're going back that far. My um, father was in the uh, air oil business, like, you know, during my formative years, my mom was a, um, the head of a medical lab at a regional hospital. So she, you know, a microbiologist. Wow. 
And uh, anyways, uh, I was always, you know, bucking what both my parents wanted. Um, very driven individual, uh, but I was more akin to the math and sciences. And my, my dad was, you know, he saw it in me. He was like, you need to go into business. And I'm like, screw mm -hmm. business. And I'm like, what's the most opposite major of business? Chemistry. I'm going to go do chemistry. <laughs> and so wow. I was constantly bucking, bucking that trend. Um, you know, but, you know, they had me, you know, they asked me to get part-time employment just to start teaching me lessons. Um, I think my first job uh, was manning the concession stand um, in between soccer games growing up. Uh, wow. I would, you know, you know sideline, referee. But my first, quote unquote, what I call the real job is uh, I was a florist. Now, I have, this is when I realized I had major allergies to flowers. I had never been around flowers. <laughs> and uh, I was working for a wedding planner as a florist. And it was just like roses everywhere. Oh, man, I hated life. It was complete torture. Um you know, he promised, you know, these brides, yes, we'll float these hearts in the pool and we'll, you know, put up lights on them. We'll electrify them. Whitney, go get in the pool. And I'm like, electricity and water. They just don't sound like they go together. Putting your life on the line. So, anyways, that was my first job. Um, but it taught me a lot of, it taught me, you know, a lot of hard work, um, thinking outside of the box, just being creative. It was such an amazing time to work with such a creative person. Um, you know, went to sure. school, but I mean, I grew up with the traditional, you know, American narrative, you know, go to school, get good grades, go to, go to college, get a degree, get a job, you know, get married, buy a house, then have a kid. Right. I did a few of those things out of order, a couple of them, but you know, it was pretty much like along that, that particular narrative. And then in about 2002, I bought a house with a significant other. We weren't married. And then about a month later, the relationship completely caved. And I had the house. I'm like, okay. Um, and, and I was scared. I was terrified. I didn't see the house as a potential asset for me, you know, one that I could, you know, rehab and, you know, make some good money off of it. I saw it as a, a liability. And I stuffed mm -hmm. it full of roommates to take care of the day-to-day -day bills. And I scrambled and, and paid my roommates and sushi and beer and pizza and we tiled floor we did plumbing we did we painted over the psychedelic daisies we refinished floors a lot of things we probably shouldn't have been doing and oh by the way we all we did this all out of a book youtube didn't exist wow. back then like yeah, i get yeah. it now you could just watch a video and learn a lot but like when you're trying to follow the steps in the book you're like oops you know guys we should have put this thing on first, not last. That's why the drywall is sliding off the wall, right? Like um, <laughs> crazy things like that. Um, long story short, um, flipped that house 11 months later uh, it, for $52,000 profit uh, and wow. you know, tax rate because of the 121 exclusion. You know, we can go dive down that rabbit hole if we want to, but um, I'm almost making just as much money at you know, as I did in my day job. And, oh, by the way, my roommates have been paying for all the bills. I was pocketing, you know, three, $400 in my pocket every month. And I'm like, oh, this is amazing. Now, I didn't see wow. real estate as like a side hustle or a business. I'm just, it was just a thing. Like if I could re continue to repeat this and eliminate an expense, that's just much, that much more than I can save. Maybe I can accelerate my savings. Maybe one day buy my time back. I didn't see it as like, let's double down on real estate. Let's go. I just continued to do these live and flips and house hacks for several years. 
my husband eventually joining me. And then one day, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of complaining to a, a friend of ours and we're like, oh, we don't know how people retire off of this. Like, this is for the birds. You know, you only get paid every like 11 to 24 months. And he was like, well, why don't you keep the flip and put a renter in it? We we're like, that's genius. <laughs> why didn't we think that? <laughs> so then we started doing that um, and scaled up a, a, a rental portfolio of 36 single family units. And then, you know, which snowballed into a 52 unit building. And then, um, you know, we just kept hitting these these little ceilings of achievement. And then eventually... Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, decided that, you know, we needed to go bigger, faster and, um, you know, went into partnership, a general partnership, and we started purchasing multifamily buildings. And so I had to learn the ropes. I learned how to raise capital first, raised on 29 deals total, and then eventually was partner on 10 of those properties. And anyways, that kind of gets us a little closer to where I'm at today with my work at PassiveInvesting.com. But you know, this is like a, a, a journey over 20 years with many obstacles and hiccups and, and, and lessons learned. That's kind of what I wanted to get at next because, I mean, it's an awesome story of uh, going from 2002, buying a house and it feeling like this is a tragedy to all of a sudden, hey, this actually is a very profitable endeavor of being able to flip a home for $52,000 in a year and cash flow on it with roommates. And, and then it sounds like this, you know, linear path of, you know, and then we went from just fixing and flipping one a year to all of a sudden a portfolio of 36 single families and 52 unit multifamily. But I imagine the path probably wasn't quite as linear as it sounds in the, uh, yeah, the like, summary. Yeah. And yeah, a of so I, I, <laughs> then it goes up. <laughs> so I'm kind of curious, like um, along the way, like what were some of those initial uh, challenges as you started to scale up, um, and were there ever points where you're like, "All right, this is not going to work. This is actually going to bankrupt us." Or what are some of those lessons that you learned early on? Yeah, I mean, I think the first lesson that I learned was. Um, you know, you know, focus, right? So, um, you know, you know, I was, we were doing these fix and flips and then, um, you know, we decided to transition into the single family investing, which just kind of made sense. I'm like, okay, but I, you know, I was ready fire aim. I, I hadn't stumbled over bigger pockets. Here's the irony. I have a degree in epidemiology, which is heavy in biostatistics and math. I had no idea how to calculate cash flow. The word did not even exist in my, vo- my vocabulary when I bought my right. first true intentional rental. So as you can imagine, unfortunately it went well, but you know, when I finally, like after we closed on that first true, true, true rental, um, uh, I stumbled across bigger pockets. I'm like, Oh, cash flow. That's what I mean. That that's what I need to learn how to do. <laughs> and it was like a cash flow $400 a month on a $65,000 down payment. And that was with us managing the property and nothing breaking. No CapEx, no maintenance set aside and nothing like that. And I'm like, oh, we actually are cash flowing zero. Oops. Um, so just like little things like that. So that I learned how to focus. Like if this is something that I'm going to mm-hmm. get into, I need to actually learn about it. But I got I got to focus on, and there's so many different areas. In, in you know, in, Nick... <laughs> 
Nick, right? Yeah. Like, as you said at the beginning of the show, it's, um, there's so many things that I could do, but I, yeah. you know, I could continue to flip. I could continue to, you know, do single family rentals. I could learn how to rehab, but I needed to get really good at one thing first, which was like, how do I buy a single family house to make it cash flow? And it doesn't, it doesn't mean you have to do it like 10 or 15 times over. If you do it like maybe once or twice, you, you learn that skill. Great. Nailed that skill. Next. What's the next skill I need to learn how to do? Um, so that was like the first big lesson for me was that, that intense focus and then, um, commitment after that. So after the first year when we were completely committed to buying single family properties, cash flowing properties, this meant we got out of the Colorado market. We went into Indianapolis and Kansas city as our first two single family rental markets, um, for cash flow, um, you know, by the end of that first year, we were about up to 10 properties and then I got laid off. And here it was, I, I had two houses under contract, went to work on Friday morning, um, got laid off and, and the writing was on the wall. I kind of, you know, that whole year I could have been looking for another job. Um, I was the last person in my department to get laid off, but I didn't, I, I decided to buy property instead, focus there. Um, but when I got laid off, these two properties were under contract. I was in tears, got home, talking to my lender. And he was like, sorry, Whitney, we can't, we can't lend to you on this. You know, you're going to have to let the properties go. And I'm like, there's not any way we can do this. And then my husband walked in the door from running an errand. And I'm like, wait, you have a job. <laughs> so I'm still on the loan with the lender. And I'm like, can my husband get the loan? And they were like, I guess so. Does he have a job? And I'm like, if that's... If he doesn't need a pulse, if the only requirement is that he needs a job, yes. <laughs> yes, we can make that happen. And by the end of the day, you know, it, you know, we had him qualified. We had all of the purchase sale agreements moved over um, wow. into his name. But it was really remaining committed, you know, so mm-hmm. focus first, but then being committed to what our goal was going to be. Mm-hmm. I love that. And as there were obstacles in your way, you found ways to overcome them. With with the the getting laid off there, was that your aha moment of like, hey, this is where I'm making a shift toward investing? Or had you already made that decision earlier on and you were just working towards it? I had made that decision earlier on and was working towards it. Um, I think the what during that time, whenever I was laid off, um, I honestly had an unsolicited job offer just like really quickly, like a couple weeks later. And when I was laid off, it was the middle of November and I had not had a holiday season off in 11 years, you know, might have, you know, been home for like four hours on Christmas dinner. And that was about it. Like it worked Thanksgiving, Christmas Eve, New Year's Eve, New Year's day. And I was like, okay, this is awesome. Like after a couple of days, after the sting was wearing off, you know, of being told we don't need you anymore. Who likes that? Um, you know, I was like, wow, we get to travel. We get to be together as a family. And when I got the job offer, I was kind of like, uh, I'll see you in January. And they were like, no, we need you now. And I'm like, really? <laughs> Can we do January? <laughs> and that was when I realized right then and there, one, I was getting the taste of financial freedom. Two, I had the upper hand. I had the power. Because we had cash flow coming in from our existing rentals. We had organized our family. We actually had a really strong financial foundation, which um, this is something that I'm very passionate about teaching my clients. Um, There's a lot of 
push out there for people to become a really great investor. But that is just one little sliver on how you win the wealth game. You have to learn how to create wealth. You have to learn how to keep it and protect it. You have to learn how to pass it on. And there's like so many different steps and principles in each one of those categories. So if it's like if, if we consider the wealth game a, or the you know winning and multi-generational wealth a game, you got to understand the objective. You got to understand the rules. Being an, a good investor is a strategy. It's not an objective and it's not one of the rules in order to win. But anyways, turning back. No, that's so good. Yeah, turning back to the situation, that was that was something that allowed us to stay afloat because we had we had already won at a couple levels at these wealth games, and we were trying to master being great investors, and that's where we got to like really, you know, it, it was so cool to have the upper hand and be like, you know, I really we'll see you in January. Like this is great. If you want me, I'm the person you're going to hire January eighth. After I've had a yeah. holiday off of my family, after we've traveled to DC and frozen our tissues off, like I'll see you January eighth. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing to experience that freedom and to be able to have that first taste. I think of living life on your terms, being able to to do things around your own priorities as opposed to the priorities of another company that you're working for. And I love what you talk about in uh, having that intense focus, going back to that for a moment, and um, this idea of stacking skills, like recognizing that, okay, I really need to figure out how to analyze a deal and what it means to cash flow, and then uh, move on to whatever the, the next skill is um, along you know, the, the journey of, of growth. Um, so maybe you could speak to that as far as just what that uh, stack of skills looks like. Um, you can go that direction. I'm also just curious about uh, you've gone from fix and flip to single family rental to multifamily to large deal syndication. And I would love to hear about why you've made those different jumps as well, as opposed to just saying, I'm going to grow the biggest single family rental portfolio west of the Mississippi kind of thing. <laughs> Actually, I was on the other side of the Mississippi. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. No, that's true. Uh, Indianapolis and, uh, and Kansas City, yeah, very much the other side of the Mississippi. <laughs> um, but yeah, all joking aside, um, you know, so um, I'll start with kind of the stacking skills piece. And, and it's not just about stacking skills. I think whenever and really, you know, tying what you need to learn, who you need to become, you know, and, you know, how you're going to create your portfolio. They're really tied together here. And I tie them together with three questions. First, you have to understand what you want. Like, mm. and these are questions, you know, listeners here, if you guys are hearing this, write this down. This is like one of the first places I start with all my coaching clients. What do you want? Let's get crystal clear. And this is probably nothing new. Right, we hear this all the time. What do you want? Set your goal. What's your objective? Right, um, but what do you want? Get crystal clear on what that is, um, and put some numbers around it and a feeling to it. Okay, paint that vision of what life will look like. Also, when you hit that goal, so it's not just about earning ten or fifteen thousand dollars a month. 
Um, and I use $15,000 a month. I was talking with one of my clients last night and I'm like, what does that $15,000 a month give you? And she was like, it gives me a house on the water outside of Seattle. And it gives me the 60, $70,000 Mercedes Benz. She was like, I want that. And I'm like, great. I mean, she has no kids. This is, this is her passion. Right. But you know, yeah. for somebody else, it might be different. Like for me, my want yeah. is I want to have freedom and choice on how I spend my time. Um, and create an impact in the world. That is what I want. Getting really cl- and what will it take for me to achieve that? It's x thousands of dollars a month coming in passively. Um, yep. And why do you want it? Again, most people when they start the why, they're running from a pain. There's a pain there. I want out of my day job. I want you know to pay all my bills. I want to take the family on vacation. Right? There's a problem or a pain they're trying to solve for. But continue to ask deeper why questions. And Tony Robbins has an exercise called the seven layers of why. Get down to that seventh layer. And it's really hard. But when you do, you find out the freedom that you're running towards. And you need both. You need to, you need to know your pain because that's what's going to get you, keep you doing the hard stuff every single day is because you're just like, man, I got to go into work again. I'm going to find more property, right? But you need to know what you're running towards because that is what's going to keep you building the right business for you. Mm. Now, this is where I'm going to take a little bit of detour. You ask the question and I'll come back to it. You know, I want to elaborate. I started off as single family investing. It's what I knew. It was reachable for me. But I kept hitting these inflection points where I, I... why I wanted it was for that time freedom, that freedom of choice, the freedom to create an impact and continuing to scale in single family homes to 100, 200, 300 properties. I was heavily involved in that. That didn't line up with my North Star why. So I needed to continue to pivot my business so I could be in alignment with that North Star why. Okay, we'll set that down for a second. But to come back to the third question, about the skill stacking, now it's about who do you have to become to get this, okay? And what mindsets do you need to have? What skills do you need to have? Here's the thing. You don't have to learn all the skills. You can bring people into your world that have the skills. Yeah. And then what, are, who, what kind of network do you have, right? Normally, you know, people who start off in real estate, they don't know many other real estate investors. So, yeah, you know, their network's small. You know, they're, they don't have a cash flow behind them, probably built up very well to hire out a team. So they need to learn these skills. That's where the stacking comes in. Um, but I encourage people quickly to think past that point. Okay, to start tapping into their network, start bringing people on that can help them. And it doesn't have to be paid positions. Maybe it's finding an amazing realtor or property manager or construction Um, you know, maybe hiring a VA that's really good at at running spreadsheets and crunching numbers and doing research to to help you leverage, create leverage in your life. So that's kind of like the three-step thing. And I would ask those questions, especially if you're starting off um, consistently and repeatedly, like every couple of months, because the answers will continue to change and dial in. And Minimally, ask them every two, every like six months or at least once a year because as you hit ceilings of achievement, I, I've been doing this exercise for probably eight years now. As you hit different levels of achievement, these questions are going to help you push up to the next level. 
Because the mindset that got me into my first couple million in real estate is not the mindset that's going to get me into partnership on 800 million in real estate. Right. It's very different. So, um, hopefully that, that's some wisdom to impart there. Um, but yeah, hugely helpful. I love those (laughs) questions. Yeah, no, those, those are great questions. I wrote them down. I saw Nick, I saw you writing as well. So those, those are awesome. I, I, it's, it, as you're sharing those, it brings me back to what you said even just a couple minutes ago about how this is about strategy and so much of what you were just talking about. I think in a way of you you have the puzzle that you've laid out on the table and you're trying to put the pieces together and ultimately what are you working towards and that's that crystal clear goal and your why behind it. But the strategy then comes as you're putting the different puzzle pieces together. I, maybe to take this a little different way, in, th- in thinking, I know there's a lot of folks who get really caught up in the strategy, in trying to figure out all of the pieces of the puzzle, all of these different things, as opposed to the action side and taking steps forward. That didn't seem to be a struggle for you because you you started and you just started going and it was, a, I'm going to figure this out as I go, as opposed to, I'm going to have the entire roadmap before I jump in. What advice would you give to people who are maybe afraid to jump in or, or folks who are not willing to take those action steps forward before they get going? Well, and this is kind of where I go back to um, being an amazing or, or an unstoppable investor is just one, it's a tactic that helps you nurture your strategy that meets your objective, right? So it's it's not just about how many you know doors can I get under my belt or how much cash flow can I have? It's that overarching, how do I win the wealth game? right? Like what's the objective here? Well, the objective is to have enough cash flow coming in passively to cover what you want to do, when you want to do it, with whom you want to do it, right? Mm. And then I tack on the multi-generational part, which is like, you know, and, you know, not just for you, but future generations, right? Um, That's the objective. The rules are, is being an investor is only one small bullet point in one of those rules, which is learning how to grow your wealth. And so oftentimes when I'm talking with investors, and the reason why I want to lay out the game analogy again is because it's it's something that's easy for people to to you know wrap their head around. Like I the, I remember the first time I ever tried to play a Catan with somebody. They laid out the board and they handed me all these roads and buildings, and I'm like, "You want me to do what? Like tell me the end game. Tell me how I win the game. Yeah. Like what's the objective?" <laughs> I'm like, "Okay, great." And then they were laid laid out the other rules. I'm like, "Okay." Rules kind of make sense. Fine. All right. But I still don't understand the strategy on how to play. Once I master the strategy, whether I do fix and flipping, whether I do, um, uh, you know, wholesaling, whether I do syndication is all a tactic. Yeah. Right. And so that's where I think when people are trying to, they're, they're, they're in this like, you know, analysis paralysis stage, they're, they're, They've focused on the wrong thing. They're focusing on the tactic as opposed to backing up and really understanding the objective, the rules, and the overarching strategy on how to win the game. And then we can get down and tailoring, okay, the tactic to their personality, right? Um, And this is why I concentrate so much with, you know, my individual coaching clients on their own, fortifying their own financial foundation with like, you know, 
you know, creating the wealth and learning how to keep it. Um, because if they understand that, those fundamental rules will feed into how, how to be a really great investor too. Um, so uh, anyways, like, you know, if somebody's, you know, all over the board, you know, shiny object syndrome analysis paralysis, they don't need to know one more tactic. They don't need to bolster a skill. They need to go back to the drawing board and understand there's a, uh, there's a misalignment there. They haven't cl probably clearly, they deep down viscerally, whatever they're trying to do doesn't, you know, their heart is telling them this doesn't line up with what you want or why you want it. They just can't put words to it because they haven't sat yeah. there and understood that. That analogy is super helpful. I mean, there's the kind of proverbial saying of you miss the forest for the trees when you're just focusing on tactics and you lose sight of the objective. And uh, I think of settlers and yeah, the first time of sitting down and playing and it's like, well, am I going after the longest road or am I just going to try and hoard all of one resource? And it's like, well, uh, you can do any of those things, but any given one of those things is not necessarily going to win you the game. Um, and so you've really got to just take stock of the hand that you're dealt, um, the way that everything else is going around you and make decisions based on that, which is uh, in some ways that's, that's more challenging. It gets to what you're talking about with uh, you've got to think more strategically, but it's also a lot more exciting. It also is probably why there's not like one cookie cutter way of like, hey, this is the exact path that you follow if you want to mm. win in life and generational wealth building. Like there are proven strategies. Um, there are some, uh, you know, principles, but, um, it's not like, uh, myself or Nick can just say, okay, well, Whitney bought her first house and took her 11 months to flip it with some roommates. If we just do that, we're going to end up like she, uh, has, mm -hmm. would you say that's fair? I would say it's fair. And I, you know, and I like how you like brought in the fact that, you know, um, the tactics sometimes have to change with the market conditions, right? And so um, that is too, again, a misalignment because, you know, of all the things that somebody can do in real estate, there might only be like a small sliver, like three or four that actually like align with them and what they want to do. So, mm -hmm. um, but then it's a matter of like what hand is being dealt them, right? Did they get three wheats and two stones or two ores yeah. and they can go buy a development? <laughs> like, I don't know. Right. Like, and for those of you who haven't played Settlers of Catan, I'm so sorry. Like, <laughs> it is a, it's a great game. Uh, and our it daughter, sure is. Uh, and I don't know if you've ever played Seven Wonders, our daughter, she's 11. She just figured out in this last year um, the whole strategy behind seven, seven wonders. And it's so, so cool to watch it because she just crushes yeah. us. Like she now is able to see her hand. We're like, dang, we taught her too well. Um, but anyways, That's yeah. Awesome. Like, you know, what are those market conditions? Now here's the thing. This is where it kind of ties now that, you know, this is what I help people to do individually. But like, you know, what if somebody is like, but I really want to do multifamily investing and I really love express car washes. I am never going to do that for myself. That's where groups like PassiveInvesting.com, you know, private equity groups come in and help people solve that problem, right? Mm -hmm. they, that's where we can help people like access those types of um, assets 
to diversify and scale their portfolio without them having to be the day-to-day operator on that, right? Goes back to like, you know, in that who do you have to become question. We talked about the mindset, the skills, and the networks. Well, the skills, you don't necessarily have to have them. You just need to have a, a who that has them. And that's where that's, that, that's, that's a perfect example of just like where, where syndicated, you know, operators slide in there. Yeah. Can you flesh out a bit more for us just what um, PassiveInvesting.com and your role there looks like for uh, for ourselves or for any of our listeners that are like, yeah, this sounds really amazing. So what, uh, when somebody comes to passiveinvesting.com and they want to work with you, um, what are the, the real services or steps that they go down with passive investing? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, they, you know, depending on how they entered our ecosystem, you know, maybe they stumbled across us online, met us at a conference, you know, maybe saw one of my passive investing masterclasses or boot camps on YouTube, you know, you know, they went, you know, fill out a form and hop on a call with, um, you know, myself or one of our investor relations team. And there we just really get to understand their, you know, their goals, their risks, their timeline. The, you know, because it's, it's as much as they're talking to us and interviewing us to see if we're a good fit for their portfolio, we're interviewing them to make sure that we're good partners um, to be in yeah. partnership with, you know, for five, seven years. And, and to also clarify, help them, you know, there's really three or four types of investors that I run into, you know, the new investor that has no idea about passive investing or the investor that knows about passive investing and just doesn't know about our group. And then um, the investor, you know, that is already within our ecosystem that we're just, you know, something's changed in their portfolio and, and their risk or their timeline or the asset class exposure that they want to kind of sit down and talk through and rework. So, you know, we have a clarifying conversation with them to help them understand, um, you know, in, in crystal clear detail what those goals, risk and timeline are and if we're, what are assets that we offer a good fit. You know, we we hit that and, and we don't try to solve everybody's problems. But, you know, I would say for 80 percent of the investors out there, we're probably a good fit in that we help balance out cash flow and appreciation um, and tax benefits across our multifamily self-storage and express car wash assets. Now, some of our assets we're, um, you know, we're doing, um, you know, in the next year or two, we're going to be focused more on car wash development. So for somebody who's more on, uh, has a shorter timeline and a, you know, is okay, a higher risk tolerance um, and doesn't need cash flow, that could be a good asset um, to slide into their portfolio. Or conversely, yeah. somebody is like, I just want cash flow. I don't want the, any of the risk of a, you know, equity, you know, stake in the asset. I don't need the tax benefits. Well, we have our first position um, real estate debt fund. That's super helpful. And I would definitely encourage all of our listeners to check your stuff out that you've put out there, both content and uh, also the website there to learn a little bit more. You guys are a great resource in that. Mm-hmm. I, I want to shift a little. One of the things that you've said a few different times is, you know, know your why. And you've talked a lot about being able to spend your time doing the things that you want to do. And as I know a little bit of your story, and as you've shared today, you've reached the point or are maybe close to the point where 
your your passive investments are have taken care of your fundamental needs, so you're able to spend your time how you want. Yet you are spending so much time with mentoring, with coaching, with clients, with educating people. There's clearly a passion there, and that's so much of what you're doing today. So curious, you know, you you didn't really you hit your single portfolio with the doors that you had, and then you jumped in, you could have taken your ball necessarily and, and gone home. I mean, you could have said, hey, I'm done. I'm going to go hang out and, and relax. But you're still grinding. You're still working hard and you're still investing in other people. So really, what's 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 your driving force? What's the big why for you? Yeah. So um, I kind of have taken my ball and gone home. I'll explain that story in a minute, but uh, you did borrow your analogy. But so we talked about those five freedoms in life, right? Most people initially when they get into real estate are looking at financial freedom, but that financial freedom helps unlock the other four. Um, That is time freedom, freedom of choice, freedom of location, and freedom to create an impact in the world. And I almost feel like... um, you know, the win, and that's, I can't, honestly can't tell you where I heard it. I wish I coined all this, but it, it isn't, you know, somebody, somebody else did, but I can't remember where I heard it. But it's almost like um, once you start getting pretty darn that, you know, far down that path of financial independence into financial freedom, those other doors start unlocking. And mm-hmm. people will have a combination of those whys. You know, for me, I, I discovered for myself, um, I was pretty darn far down that path of financial um, freedom, but um, I was location independent, but in the partnership that I was in, I didn't have freedom of time, and I kind of had a little bit of freedom of choice, but I certainly couldn't go create my own pa- impact in the world within that ecosystem. So that's where I kind of, you know, when COVID happened, um, you know, a lot of things, it was you know, such such a disruption for everybody, right? But for me, there was a lot of silver linings there because we were able to travel more as a family. Um, you know, our daughter was schooling from home, um, which ended up being, you know, at the time, a better choice for her. I always joke around at that point in time, she was only going to like me for two or three more years, so I'm going to take advantage of this golden time. And I did. I did that. I decided to take my ball and go home, Right. And not to like leave the field entirely, but to take that next pause because I could. Because I can always come back to building the game. I have the skills. I have the knowledge. I have the network, right? I could always come back, but I wasn't ever going to be able to get that time back. And when I took that step back, that's when it became a little bit clearer to me. What was missing is I didn't have that freedom to go out and create the impact in the world that I wanted to. Now, here's the thing. If... Uh, if I would stay unchecked, I would be talking to investors all day long. I'd be on podcasts all day long. I'd be going to every single conference. But I know I have to have that balance between time, choice, and the freedom to create an impact. And it's that's been the biggest lesson for me in the past like couple years is learning how to keep all those three balls in balance. I love your perspective and the fact that you've been able to zoom out and not just get caught up in the single financial freedom, but that you have made it a priority to balance all of the different freedoms that you want to have in life, that you recognize that wealth building is a game, and that while financial freedom and to some degree time freedom um, 
those are really important, but uh, that there's other priorities in life and other stages, unique times of life, like when you have you know, your daughter and, and at different ages and stages that she's in, um, to be able to take a step away from the game, to be more present for those things, even if they might not be as like financially uh, lucrative. I think that that's a, a really valuable thing. And I just, I love that that's part of your why and, and part of what's built into your DNA there. Um, I had one more question that's uh, unrelated to, to why, um, as much as I love that, but I just think there's a lot of value in that you started in 2002 and you've seen some serious market turns. I mean, you you made it through the GFC, which a lot of uh, real estate investors did not. Um, you also experienced the uh, market insanity of 2019 through 2021 and uh, rock bottom interest rates. And now we're starting to see that a lot of real estate investors that didn't secure long-term fixed debt are starting to get killed with adjustable rates. Um, I'm just curious what you would say was key to your success in being able to uh, either anticipate or make it through those market turns and what kind of advice you might have for our listeners as uh, they see the ups and downs of the real estate market and that kind of makes them fearful to jump Mm -hmm. in. Well, I wish I had sage advice for 2008, 9, 10. Um, only the fact that I was living in Boulder, Colorado, and um, you know, blissfully, I wouldn't say unaware. Um, you know, I was managing you know retail pharmacy chain stores at the time, and you know, definitely felt the pinch at those stores and with our customers, and you know, sensed the fear with them. But you know, in the market. Our market, housing market held steady. So, you know, I figured as long as we stayed local, we would be, you know, pretty, pretty decent. We actually bought our last flip here in Boulder in that, I wouldn't say even downturn, it just flatlined, <laughs> just completely flatlined. And we, um, you know, when we we're kind of popping out of that, then we bought our last fix and flip here in Boulder and we were able to capitalize on that. Um now, as far as like the, you know, run up, you know, anybody, everybody looks smart between like, you know, 2015, 16, 17, 18. I mean, you know, buying distressed property um, and, and, you know, for rock bottom prices, you know, getting in um, all in with your rehab, like below 70% was pretty easy to do. And then like later in 17, 18, early 19, interest rates start ticking up, asset prices start going up and that was harder. Right. So you had, that's where we go back to like being an investor, you know, in these specific niches are tactics. You have to, you know, zoom back out, understand what those, you know, overarching principles are. And fortunately, in between 2008 and 2019, I had started mastering those principles, which is, you know, whenever you look at an asset, make sure that, you know, you're investing for capital preservation. Okay. First and foremost. And that eliminates, guys, eliminates the stock market. But most definitely most people here are like understand that already. Um, cash flow. Okay. Um, I, this is, I know I, I was fixing fix and flipping, but I was trying to use that to, as a methodology to build up capital so I could funnel it into cash flow and assets. So some of these tactics feed into the overarching strategy, but my overarching strategy was not fix and flipping. 
if that makes sense. So yep. investing yep. for cash flow because the cash flow, if I have it now, it tends it's gonna you know without going too far down this rabbit hole is an indication that the asset is stable in today's market. It also gives me wiggle room if I need to um, adjust my rents should the market you know rents you know kind of tick down. Um, investing in um, you know for assets for equity um, and not just market equity, right? But forced equity. How can I increase the income? decrease the expenses, add additional streams of income to the asset. Um, that's kind of hard to do with single family. That was a lot of the reason why that equity piece, that equity control was a good, one of the larger reasons why I started transitioning from single family into larger um, institutional grade assets, okay, is that I could actually like mm -hmm. guard that equity. Now I started doing that like in 2016 and 17. I I I I missed on so many asset run the asset run up. So in 2017 I looked like a genius. By 2021 I looked like a complete jerk. <laughs> but you know what? I had repositioned that into other um, commercial assets and experienced the run up there. Um, so it wasn't a loss. Um, and then also tax benefits. Okay, and you know, investing in assets mm -hmm. for tax benefits, which is another reason why I stepped away from you know a large part of fix and flipping because I didn't get the tax benefits with that. Mm. And so, um, you know, we do a lot of you know midterm, short term, you know, long longer hold type um, properties personally, and then also our commercial investing at a larger level. And then there's like three other pillars in there that you know wealth pillars in there that I would abide by. But you know, for anybody listening, concentrate. You know, if you concentrate on making sure that all your assets have those four pillars in there, that's going to put you in a pretty good position if the market goes up, down, or sideways, right? So many, and I encourage everybody to look at your entire portfolio, stocks, bonds, and mutual funds, ETFs, notes, everything included, and grade your portfolio based on those metrics, okay? Because it might clue you in to be like, oh, um, maybe I don't have, you know, this fix and flip or whatever. Maybe there's an asset in there that you're just like, it's really heavily weighted on one of those pillars. Maybe it's your mutual funds. What happens if the stock market crashes? That value evaporates and the potential future cash flow, tax benefits, and equity growth of that value evaporate. Yeah. That's awesome. That's super helpful. I love those, uh, those four pillars and, um, that's such great advice. And obviously it's uh, a time tested uh, <laughs> in that you've, you are where you are and uh, didn't get uh, killed by some of those market downturns. I, I will say that the, the assets that I had that are struggling in this market are more the momentum type of assets that don't abide by all of those seven pillars. And so, mm -hmm. but they were, but my core portfolio and this is where I think people, you know, um, you know, I was talking to one of my clients the other day. She's so excited, you know, when she retires to build a real estate business. And I'm like, your core portfolio should be like watching paint dry. Boring. Right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Now let's take, you know, of these few million dollars in equity that, you know, she's looking to reposition. Okay, you want to take 200000 off the table and go fix and flip a few properties and like start, start a boutique, whatever. Fantastic. Play with that. 
Well, let's keep the yeah. core that the core of the portfolio, the, 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 the part of the portfolio that needs to generate that 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 income for your financial freedom. Let's let, let it lie. Okay. And then everything else that you make past this with this like little nest egg, you can play. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that's music to Nick's ear. That's his favorite pastime is watching paint dry. So he, he's he's all about that. You can come right. to my house and paint then. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's right. Uh, no, really, really good advice there. I love it. Well, Nick, do you uh, you want to take us to the golden nugget round? I sure will. Everybody's yeah, no, favorite is, part of the show. That's right. Best part, favorite part. No, this has been a great conversation with tons of notes and Whitney, great oh, yeah. for you being on and sharing your wisdom. So same, the as Nick said, the golden nugget round is the four questions we ask all of our guests. So the first one here, we talk a lot about the five F's of abundant journey. I'm just going to make you pick one of these and tell me how you're working on growing or getting better this year in that category. So we have family, finance, faith, fitness, and future. So pick one and tell us how you're growing. Oh my gosh. Well, <laughs> we started the show with me hobbling around on crutches. So um, there you go. Uh, that was the um, knee procedure that has been in the works for months now. But um, I kind of call, I'm calling September and early October my makeover month between that and a couple other health things that I need to just address. Nice. Good. No, and uh, hopefully you're well on your the road to recovery with the knee there. So we'll. Uh, we're sending well wishes your way. Next one here. What's a quote from a book or mentor that stuck with you along your journey? Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, a previous partner of mine and mentor, Annie Dickerson, um, she, I, I don't even know if it's her quote, but she's the one that I credit for saying this. Um, life is uh, like an amusement park and I want to ride all the rides. So I, I just don't want to go through life mm. unrestricted. I want to have that freedom of choice to do what I want when I want. That's so good. And I I think throughout the conversation, the thing that I've continued to hear from you is options. And you haven't used that word, but just options in life to be able to go this direction with who you want. And, you know, that is true freedom. And so I I think you, you, you live that way and you've worked really hard to get to that. So that's super awesome. Next one here, what's a dream or goal that you have that you've not been able to make happen yet? Well, I mean, so many. Um, so I do, we, we do this uh, um, happiness formula exercise. So I have a book coming out with Bigger Pockets on Money for Tomorrow, a sensible guide for building wealth. This exercise will be in there. I'll take you through the full exercise. But this is, again, just one like little sliver over how to win the whole multi-generational wealth game. But in that exercise, I sit down and do this uh, happiness exercise with my daughter and my husband, you know, about once a quarter. Um, and um, we just outline all those things that we, you know, the experiences we want to have, the growth we want to have in our life and how we're going to give back of our time, money and ourselves. But um, pretty consistently on that list for my daughter and I are like, you know, um, going to the, you know, uh, going to like travel Europe, go on a safari, you know, go see, um, you know, Everest. Um, but the one that the kind of the low hanging fruit that I cannot believe we haven't done yet is done the family um, space camp. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that one's going down here in the next few months. 
That's awesome. Nice. No, that's great. That's great. I love it. Well, last one here. At the end of your life, what do you hope you'll be remembered for? Ooh, you know, you know, a mentor of mine had me write my eulogy a few months back. And if you haven't done that, by the way, I had to get like chat GBT to help me out because I made some notes. I'm like, I don't want to write my eulogy. That sucks. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, um, AI wrote a beautiful eulogy for me, but, uh, but I had, (laughs) but I mean, just, you know, you know, you know, um, you know, launching people on this journey of winning this wealth game is so important to me. Um, because here for me, the why behind this is not just financial literacy. Literacy means you just have knowledge. It's taking action on that knowledge. And I want people to be financially capable to build their dreams. And so mm-hmm. I want to be remembered for helping people solve this problem of financial incapacity right now. That's so beautifully said. Um, and I, uh, I'm so grateful for the, the way that you've structured your life, the way that you've structured your time, um, for what you're doing. I mean, we, we hardly got to, to talk about, um, what you're doing with Ash Wealth, uh, but I know that you've built an amazing thing there, and then everything that you're doing is the in, uh, director of investor education at PassiveInvestor.com. Uh, I think you're well on your way to being remembered at the end of your life for helping people become financially capable and uh, making a, a generational difference for many, many folks. Um, I uh, I know throughout the conversation here, through all of the wisdom that you've shared, practical advice, I would love to work with you. I certainly hope that our listeners go to PassiveInvestor.com as well um, to learn more and to hopefully connect up with you. Are there other places that you'd like for people to go if they want to stay in touch or follow along with your journey? Yeah, you can um, actually join us at PassiveInvesting.com. Um, and if you want my free ebook, you can join, um, you can get that and also access to my calendar to discuss your passive investing goals at PassiveInvestingWithWhitney.com. And if you're wanting one-on-one help, if you're just like, I need somebody to hold my hand, be my cheerleader, um, show me the ropes and, you know, collapse time for me, um, you know, directly, you can find me at ashwealth.com. Perfect. I will include links to all of those in the show notes so that folks can connect with you. Um, Whitney, thank you so much for your time and everything that you've shared here. This has been an awesome conversation and would love to stay in touch with you. Uh, I'm just so excited about everything that you are building. And listeners, we are so grateful for you coming along on the the journey with us and engaging in the conversation here. Uh, To keep the conversation going, please make sure to visit AbundantJourney.net. Sign up for the newsletter so you don't miss out on the new and exciting things that we're doing. Also, if you have not subscribed to the show or left us a review, uh, that goes a long, long way in helping others uh, discover the amazing content and uh, wisdom from folks like Whitney. So uh, if you haven't done that, please make sure to do so now. Otherwise, we will be back in uh, a week or less with more content for you. Thanks, everybody.